0: That's the kind of philosophy that we are pursuing. You just need to know what is happening in the other fields.
1: Hi, I'm Alex, and welcome to the x Show, where I talk to visionaries behind the latest innovations in care for the extra health of the future. We're meeting today in Zurich, Switzerland, in Kraftwerk, a former power station transformed with lovingly restored modernist furniture into a powerhouse of creativity. My guest today is Dr. Pavel Zaharov, optical scientist, serious in software engineering involved in various groundbreaking startup projects. A humble introvert turns into an eloquent wizard when speaking about how to track health issues. His latest child, Vivior, a vision behavior monitor supported with AI might help bring the answers to our sore eyes, intraocular lens implant or laser eye surgery. He talks about how the team iterated on the original idea because, well, the world made a pivot. Also, you'll hear about myopia or short-sightedness epidemic, cataract, digital vision stress, horizontal innovation, Apple Watch continuous glucose monitoring, the future of wearables and more. so you've basically figured out how to quantify the way we use well, or abuse our eyes. Is that the device that I was wearing? Is it, is it how we may put it?
0: Yes, I think that's a very good understanding because we are talking so much about how we're using our body, how much we move, how much we walk around, how much we run, but not so much we are talking about how we use our vision and how we are using our eyes. Because by design, our body is not designed for sedentary lifestyle, like when we're sitting in front of a computer all day. And in the same way, our eyes are not designed for this kind of work. So that's why I think in the modern lifestyle, and especially after all these corona events of the past years, we should adapt and start understanding that we need to also monitor how our visual behavior is working and how our visual needs can be addressed better
1: so how how did you come up with the idea actually to to measure it you basically are a, a specialist in biomedical optics right so it makes kind of a sense right but it's like in in short because we'll come back to that later you know the the whole the whole idea like what was the say the the spark you know to to build it or to start building it?
0: I think it's very simple. I'm starting an engineer or a scientist, and I always like to quantify things. So since my early years, I've been working on in the university as well. I've been working on monitoring, on measuring, on analyzing data. I'm kind of very data-driven. I think that's a very cool thing. If you can quantify something about some processes, then you can make conclusions and understand them better and since i've been working in ophthalmology and i've been also had a quite some experience in wearables for me it was a quite a obvious match that if we want to measure how we use our eyes we can do it with the wearables and that's what we actually done at vivior
1: okay so uh i have tested it so basically i received a box or actually two boxes uh, at home you know i'll be unpacking this for you guys listening, so there's a big box that came, and there's a white box inside. And when you open the box, you know immediately. Yeah, can you hear that? That's an intro playing because when you open the box, immediately you can have you can play three videos. So first, how it works. Uh, the other is about Vivior and about the clinic. So. I played immediately how it works and uh, I was able to basically set the device up in a couple of minutes you know so it was set and I put it on my glasses and was you know ready to go basically right so it's it's not too big not too small I mean when you put it on your glasses you can notice it like you know so so the first I probably put it a bit too to to near to to the front because I could see it you know Uh, from like the corner of my eye, right? But then I put it a bit back and that was all right, you know? So I was basically using it for three days. Now, you could see the results, right? And we'll talk about later, like what we can use it for. So what can you make up of me wearing the device that's measuring? Well, it's not recording, right? Because it's not like there's no camera, there's no microphone,
0: right? Exactly. So our device is actually designed to monitor visual behavior and to help uh, healthcare practitioners and users as well to understand their visual behavior. So the box that you received was originally designed for a cataract patients. So these are the patients who are preparing themselves for a cataract surgery. So that's when the natural lens in our eyes is getting replaced with a plastic lens, let's say in a simple way. And the thing is that there are multiple solutions which are available uh, in the market, which can help the patient to better, to improve, to optimize the performance of this lens through their lifestyle. The problem is uh, the communication channel between the patient and the ophthalmologist or the surgeon because uh, they have a kind of limited time to understand the patient needs. And I mean, the
1: surgeons, they don't the have surgeons, time. surgeons,
0: yes. So, when they start choking, also patients sometimes a little bit confused about the kind of questions that the surgeon is asking. So, for example, we had this real-life story when one of the mother-in- I mean, mother-in-laws of one of our employees have been uh, visiting the surgeon and preparing for a surgery, and he asked her how much she reads, and she answered, oh, I'm not reading a lot. But when my colleague said, but wait a second. I mean, you're solving these crosswords and puzzles all the day long, but she said, <laughs> wait a second, it's not what my doctor asked me, and but from a visual needs, that's exactly the same. So the idea was in, for, a, uh, for a surgeon and for a patient to better understand what would be the best solution for, in terms of this lens, which will be implanted, we decided that we will go uh, with this kind of visual behavior monitor, which will actually do this work by itself. And we uh, implemented it in a very... Uh, non-intrusive way because what we try to achieve that we are not having any camera no microphone not even any wireless communication or bluetooth scanning or whatsoever so what it's doing i mean it has a, um, a laser based i mean it's very low intensity it's very similar to what you have in your remote controls for a tv which is actually pinging the environment around the user and uh, trying to understand what is user is doing in terms of a visual activity. If the user is reading a book or he is looking on a screen or he is outdoor walking in the Alps, for example, that we have very nice examples with a lot of light. And uh, then all this information is being collected on the device and then being transferred to the cloud so that when the patient is coming to the surgeon for decision-making on what kind of lens they would want to use they can easily demonstrate to the the patient how his lifestyle would be affected after this surgery with this or another lens. And this is a kind of educational tool for a patient where the patient can make this educated decision. Okay, what do I want to have? Do I want to be with spectacles uh, indoors when I'm reading because I'm not so much reading because I'm driving all the time, for example, or I'm walking the mountains? Or the other way around, I want to have a very nice vision when I'm working on my laptop because that's what I'm doing all the time. And this is a kind of patient education. And it's a, you are making a patient a decision maker here. And I think that's very important in the, all the modern trends of the healthcare. And uh, what the surgeon can see from this data, they can see what kind of the person is in front of them, what kind of patient. If it's a patient who is spending a lot of time outdoors, or he is working on a computer, or he or she, because it's very, very interesting uh, lifestyle which comes came up only recently that people are spending so much time on the computers. and from a from a vision profile, it's also very unique. And then the surgeon has better understanding and he's m- making sure that this patient is actually getting the best option that the patient would benefit from.
1: So it matters to uh, for, for the surgeon to make the right choice for the patient that he or she has and to to choose the lens to be implanted that fits the patient the best. Mm,
0: typically, surgeons by looking on these profiles i mean they as soon as they can understand what who is sitting in front of them of course we are not trying to completely replace the decision making of a surgeon no we are giving the surgeon information to discuss with a patient because he or she can uh, can look on these data and as we've discussed with you we they can look on this a profile and say oh i see you've been working on the computer and, and so it so and then patient can relate yes because doctor i'm working on the computer so much because i'm doing this and that so this is a kind of a conversation starter so we are trying to Start this conversation between the surgeon and the patient, and as a result, what we are trying to achieve is that the surgeon and the patient are making decisions kind of together. Because of course, surgeons know what is good for a patient and what is needed. Because it's not the vision behavior is not everything. This is one part, which is very important, but I mean, there are all other factors which are coming into play. And here, the surgeon who has a better understanding of all the patient profile, I mean, patient health conditions, et cetera, they can figure out the best solution. But this tool will help the surgeon to better communicate with the patient. So that's what we are trying to achieve. I mean, we are not trying to... Tell the surgeon, okay, you need to do this and you don't have to do this. No, that's not our goal.
1: So this is the idea with which Vivior was launched back in 2020. How did the launch launch go?
0: Yes, so that was actually the original idea. And talking about startups, I mean, startups always have to be agile, you know, and adjust. Of course, that was the first idea that we started with. And for us, it was the most obvious use case. And we've been planning, uh, we've been actually planning out, seeing ourselves as more like a technology company, because we thought, okay, we will build the technology, and then we will partner with some big corporate, and then they will probably be interested in putting this on the market. And then, unfortunately, Corona came, and this whole uh, kind of healthcare services in multiple countries, including US, for example, and in Europe, they've been actually stopped, so that's why we were not able to progress in this kind of vision, uh, exactly because of the corona time. But instead, I mean, we try to approach the market ourselves. So we placed the device on the market for the, just to ha- collect the customer feedback, I mean, to collect uh, user experiences essentially. And we also try to approach uh, opticians uh, in a vision care, and we've seen that there is a quite a good traction in uh, customizing the optical lenses because when, for example, you go in uh, to your optician and then you look in on the different options for a progressive spectacles, where you have uh, multiple zones in your lens, that's actually very similar to what you have in uh, intraocular lenses market. Uh, the only difference here that the optician is more uh, is more a decision maker and the. A, customer, a patient is essentially a customer, so the patient is quite demanding. The patients who are customers in this case, they want to understand uh, what is the best option for them. And we've seen that there is a quite a good traction and we have a quite a good uh, sales in this, uh, in this market. But what we also learned in the process is that there are other applications for our device, because essentially we've built a system which can monitor visual behavior. I mean, of course, we started with the most obvious for us as a scientist and as, you know, working closely with ophthalmologists, because our original idea have been mostly driven by ophthalmologists when we've been talking to them. Uh, But we've seen that there are a lot of other applications for this visual behavior, because so far, there is not that many devices. So I don't know any obvious competitor for us who is able to monitor visual behavior, but there are a lot of things which can be done. And, you know, being a startup means that we need to try this and try that. I mean, we are not just going one way and that's it, never never turn the corner, et cetera. So what we're looking at is a digital eye stress, which is becoming a kind of significant problem for a modern uh, lifestyle of people just because we are spending so much time on the computers, so much time on mobile devices, etc. And uh, again, our eyes are not designed for this. And that's, that's what we see in adults, but also that uh, comes in myopia. I mean, that's exactly the problem why we have so much uh, myopia pandemic, because, for example, in Asia, Asian countries, you have up, up, up to 80% of the population wearing spectacles.
1: Yeah, I also read about even even more stunning statistics that 96.5% of 19-year-old boys are myopic in Seoul.
0: Uh, and that's, I believe, I mean, I'm father of two kids with myopia, and for me, it was one of the motivations, of course, in the development originally, because we also been looking on the myopia when we've been starting this wearable monitoring, and of course, we've been telling our kids that you should not read so close. I mean, you need to have enough light, etc. But of course, I mean, since I have a lot of all these small uh, wearables around, which I can easily prototype and build in the sensors and I can measure this, that was for me a very obvious step to make. So and we started monitoring this. And myopia, if you ask uh, experts, I mean, it's driven by genetic, but it's also driven by the lifestyle. because Again, the eyes of our kids are not designed to spend so much time indoors. What you need is to keep spending time outdoors. So, and we believe with this technology, you can also address these needs. I mean, you can also understand better how the myopia progressing, and we have a quite a lot of. Ongoing collaboration with multiple research groups who are using our device to understand the factors which are driving myopia.
1: Could you could you say about like one such a research, like uh, what what they measuring? Uh,
0: unfortunately, that's a work in progress, and I'm I'm not. I'm not in a position to disclose. Oh, uh, fair enough, yes, fair enough. Because sure, they are using us as a resource. It's their research. I mean, of course, they need first to do the analysis and then publish it, and then it becomes.
1: So let's maybe jump to my results, right? Because this is what what we were measuring. So we were measuring the digital stress, right? Um, let's. So Pavel is just now opening the the app. You know, I just took the device, so the the monitor out of my. Uh, Spectacles. And I gave it to him. He just uh, connected it with his computer. and then, you know, basically, in a couple of minutes, all the data was downloaded to um, to his computer. And, you know, yeah, tell me what's there,
0: yeah. please. Okay, so we're essentially providing two different interfaces. I mean, one is a web interface where you can interactively uh, click on all these infographics and just compare this and that and see how the different days behave, I mean, look like. Uh, additionally, what we create is a kind of report which can be printed out and given to to the patient for whom you perform analysis or for the customer. And here, all the uh, information is kind of in more condensed Way so that you can, with one view, I mean, you can see uh how actually you are doing because it's not so simple as you have with a steps counter, for example, when you we are saying, okay, if it's below 10,000, then it's not enough, if it's be- above 10,000, but again, where it's coming from, I mean, it's coming from one single paper,
1: exactly. It's like who said 10,000 steps, right?
0: Exactly. So here we have a multiple parameters, and for example, we have a head inclination, how much you actually loading on your neck, because it's a pure mechanics, I and mean, if, you, if you really uh, flex your neck, and then your head is really tilted downwards, that's enormous weight on your neck. So if you're doing it through the whole day, I mean, then you have a lot of pain, so you have a muscular pain.
1: Yeah, just guys, I mean, when, when you're listening to that, just take notice of when you're sitting at your laptop or taking your iPhone or like any other smartphone, you know, and just notice where your head is or your neck, you know, what what's the position? Because this is what I, you know, having this device, I was trying to do things more properly, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, tell me what you see, please.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly the trick about the 36 hours, because you can start monitoring, thinking about this, but after some time i mean about one hour you kind of start forgetting the device and then you behave normally uh,
1: and okay. that's
0: exactly uh, why we want to measure patients in their normal life and that was also my experience from a previous wearable startups when you have a person in the clinic and for example you measure heart rate or you know blood pressure that's one thing or a glucose or a blood glucose, that's one thing. When the patient goes home and performs his normal activities, that can be absolutely different. So that's why continuous monitoring of all these parameters is really very important. And especially if you can adjust your behavior, because, I mean, if you ask a myopic kid to show me how you read, of course, they will show you that they're doing everything correctly. But as soon as they're at home, after a few minutes, I mean, they're forgetting about it. And that's why it's important to monitor patients in their natural environment. So that's es- essentially the idea of a whole continuous uh, monitoring. So looking on your report, what I can actually say that your head position is quite okay. So it's within the limit. So you can see it's green. Right. Yeah. Also, surprisingly, your distances to your smartphone devices and to your laptop are according to the recommendations okay so that's what we can also see what we see you actually quite your motion is quite reduced so mm-hmm. you are not moving your head and you're really fixating and staring on your screens so that can be kind of the problem and it that's
1: neck, right this is where it comes from
0: Exactly. So you need to, to have a movement because, again, our body is not designed to be in a static position, as simple as that. I mean, we should be running around and, you know, chasing some animals and looking for something to eat. Uh, here, for example, you have the pause and uh, uh, brakes indicator. So here, the indicator of the staring. So this means that you are staring at the screen without micromotions. No, it's orange, I can it's, see. It's orange. This means it's dangerous that... Uh, because this typically correlates also with non-blinking. Because mm. if we have these periods of the intense attention, we're also suppressing our blinking. And that can cause the dry eye disease and can cause some other not really nice uh, kind of developments. So that's why it's very important that you move your uh, head a little bit, that you're looking from a different perspective. Because that also causes the blinking. Okay, so fortunately, we all hear about the 20-20 rule. So like every 20 minutes, you have to look for 20 seconds, 20 meters away or 20 feet, depending if you're talking to Americans or Europeans. So here, everything is fine because we can also monitor how you change your viewing distances and actually from your computer work also looking through through your day I can see that you quite frequently changing the activities hmm. while if you would look on me when I'm doing kind of the development work or we have some really nice scientists who are really being focused on their work I mean through the whole day until the lunchtime it's really computer distance and oh, nothing, yeah. nothing oh, else
1: at These three days were special days because I was traveling I was recording a podcast too yep. you know so I mean they were different the Ah, definitely that I'm just glued to the screen, you know, so.
0: Yeah, so that was fine. But still, I mean, what I can see that you're breaking for emotion because, I mean, with our device, we can also measure how many steps you're performing. I mean, just like with a normal step counter. And importantly, how often you interrupt your computer work for these breaks, for your walking breaks. Here, you actually underperforming. Hmm. So, That's a
1: surprise, really, Yeah. yeah. So, I was even traveling, you know, Basel to Zurich. Walking,
0: uh, you haven't been done it on foot, probably. So, uh, if you see, yeah, no, I no. Uh, am. Yeah. If you sit in, in a train, I mean, it's still you need to walk around, probably you haven't been walking. No, on the, the train. train, no, yeah, yeah that's e- true, exactly. Uh, okay, so from a light perspective, it's, I mean, to be honest, it's a disaster <laughs> on your side. I mean, it's not enough illumination that you have. So, which, this Let's is
1: blame it on winter in Switzerland. No, no, I'm just joking. Yeah, it's not funny. I know. <laughs>
0: I mean, you you actually, you can improve your, your working environment. It's very important that you set lights properly, that you have a proper illumination. And, you know, if you're working from home, I mean, of course, you cannot do it when you're traveling in a train. But if you're working from home, I mean, you can set up, or in the office, you can set up the natural light. And it's actually, I'm coming to the next question about the color temperature, hmm. uh, because there is... Uh, Everybody's talking about blue light. I mean, you probably heard about this. I mean, there are these sales of spectacles with the lenses for the computer work.
1: Yeah, with like filters. right? Yeah.
0: And it's a little bit, let's say, overselling of this concept because this concept is a little bit more complicated. It's not like the blue light is bad. No. I mean, the blue light is very important to keep us awake. Hmm. I mean, of course, it's. Doesn't mean that you should shine the laser blue laser into our eyes, but in a no- our normal environment, we don't have uh, light intensity which would be able to damage our retina. that's was one of the part of the stories behind this uh, blue filter. So, uh, but what is important is really that you synchronize the blue light exposure with a daily life uh, daily cycle, because you don't want to have a blue light exposure during evening because, I mean, you need to go to sleep and you don't want to disturb your circadian rhythms. Exactly. And here we just uh, currently presenting only the blue light and w- we see that you kind of a little bit more on the bluish side than it's needed. I mean, we also can demonstrate how through the day it looks like, but I mean, in this condensed me- uh, condensed report, we are not showing this. Uh, yeah, so, and then from, from these diagrams, uh, you can see uh, what kind of recommendations you might have and also what kind of uh, optical solutions, what kind of spectacles Mm -hmm. you might benefit from. So obviously for you, I mean, if you would be going for office spectacles, you would benefit from a screen-focused spectacles because you can also have like a book uh, mm-hmm. Configuration, which are more focused on the near distance, or you can also have a space spectacles, which are more like an for executive people who are just wandering around the office and just looking on the people, etc. Not spending too much on the computer. For you, the screen would be probably the best option. And uh, also, as we discussed, I mean, you need to draw more breaks, and we have actually elaborated explanation there for people just to read this at home. So that's kind of one of the applications that we have,
1: right? And this can be used actually uh, to to what to design work uh, space or to how yeah how can this be be used like for mm, companies, for example
0: yeah for for companies I mean there are multiple ways of course uh, first of all, I mean you can modify the visual behavior you can advise your your employees on how to improve your their working habits because we all hear about that you need to have a breaks when you have a uh, for example, when you have a call, you driver one to stand up and walk around. we also have some of our Uh, People with whom we are working, they not even have a standing desks, but they have a walking desks. So they have a treadmill under the desk and they are walking while working. Okay. So people can do this, but you can also just make uh, uh, breaks, just walking breaks and really just go through somewhere and, you know, talk to your colleagues, for example. That's one thing, of course, if we see if the screen distance is not optimal, so this means that there is something wrong with your setup. Because if you're looking too close to the screen, that's obviously increases actually, uh, increases the load on your uh, accommodation mechanism, which in the long-term can be a problem. Also, the position of the head and the head orientation also can be improved. And the first thing that you can improve is to set up your space, working space. I mean, you can put the screen uh, at the right distance, at the right angle, which is also important, so that your neck is actually relaxed most of the time. There is not so much load. And that's kind of works together in a combination of the different kind of furniture that you might have in the office. Also, illumination, that's one of the very actionable items as soon as we see there is not enough illumination of your of your desk ploy, uh, desk space there are very obvious recommendations of the regulators uh, of various organizations who are watching over the workforce so to have a specific limits for the uh, illumination and if we are, these are not satisfied there is obvious actionable item that you need to have a better lights all
1: right and this is During 2022, this is what you came up with during 2022. Like, you started with um, cataracts, right? And then patients, and then you moved to other patients. Like, how how did you figure out that?
0: Uh, In fact, it's not like, you know, uh, we had a you know, stroke of insight, okay, we can do this as well. No, that's obviously, it's all have been on the back of our heads as potential options that we want to go for. Uh, but we, we have to set up the priority. As a, as a small startup, um, of course, you cannot go for all the markets which are available around and start approaching all these different potential customers. No, I mean, we just started with something which looks very obvious for us and still looks very obvious we still have very uh, dedicated uh, users in this area so we are develop, we continue developing this market but also we thought okay maybe there is a kind of another application that we can look at so that was uh, vision care when we started looking on optimization of the uh, of the spectacle lenses, and here we have a very we had a very nice and have still continue having a very nice collaboration with us with the lens manufacturers, who are happy to use our. Findings our technology in order to better understand the visual behavior of people and then develop the lens portfolios, which are designed for modern lifestyle, as we call it. So because there are some findings which coming out of our technology is that, for example, people are using multiple distances almost at the same time. Hmm. Like you're looking far, you're looking on a screen, you're looking on the on the smartphone. And how much people are actually spending on the smartphones, that was also kind of very interesting finding, which driven uh, one of the major lens manufacturers through development of a portfolio, which is kind of more or less optimized for this.
1: This episode is brought to you by The Excel Show and me. So if you like this podcast, be generous, hit follow, leave a review. That'll help me invite more such amazing guests for you. Thank you. You sent me the the article that you and your colleagues wrote about horizontal innovation. So something that's, uh, yeah, it's in contrast with vertical innovation that is now um, used in big pharmaceutical companies. Could you tell about the idea, like what's this horizontal innovation and how does it uh, apply to to Vivior or... you know, medical device companies or startups.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think we, it's not like we invented something new here. I think it's obvious to anyone who is more or less experienced in a medical device development. Uh, the difference from a vertical to horizontal is that instead of, you know, figuring out the problem or how we call it an uh, unmet medical need and starting to develop the technology bottom up. Instead, you look in what is available in the other areas.
1: So bottom up means that means, there is something uh, developed in academia.
0: Yes, and then you kind of bring it to uh, actually to the product level for this specific application. I mean, saying simply, I mean, you don't develop the laser in order to perform the laser surgery because, for example, the uh, cornea surgery, which is done with the laser, the laser hasn't been designed for this. Actually, oh. I mean. And if you look on the history of the medical innovations, there are a lot of uh, technologies which have been just adopted from a different fields. So, for example, if we look on the development of the intraocular lenses, what it was mostly like observation of the Sir Ridley who have have seen the splitters of the glass. In the pilots' jets in the Second World War, who were entering the eyes of the, of the pilots, and he was operating on them. And what he observed that if this splitter is inside of the eye, nothing is happens. Nothing happens. So he thought, okay, I have these people with a uh, with a cataract. I can remove the natural lens, and then I just put this plastic inside. And then he made several iterations, and it worked. So it's not that he developed the. Uh, plastic right away from this no i mean he first observed that it can be used and then of course there was a lot of adjustments and improvements i mean they adjusted the chemistry so there is still a lot of work to be done or for example we all know the optical coherence tomography which is a kind of one of the most successful uh biophotonic innovations in the medical domain again it was not coming from a development specifically for this purpose because the low coherence things have been designed actually for testing of the optical fibers and then it was adopted by engineers and uh, uh, healthcare professionals through this specific application of measuring the depth of the eye because this has been developed actually during this dot-com boom and it has been developed for different application but it has been adopted and that's what we kind of our philosophy as well Uh, that's also a story of uh, Vivior device because uh, one of the fortunate events in the the process of building the company when we had the first time-of-flight sensors popping up on the market laser-based and these time-of-flight sensors they haven't been designed to monitor visual behavior
1: What, what, what were they designed for
0: They've been designed for to measure... I mean, the original application they had is to measure the distance for for the smartphones when you're making photos in a low light. Hmm. So we all know this problem. If you're trying to make a photo in a low light, I mean, like at night of someone, then uh, your lens, uh, your camera is trying to focus on this person. And sometimes it's not succeeding. And what they said, I mean, we will have this... Uh, time-of-flight sensor, which will measure the distance to the object, and that will help to drive the camera focusing. And uh, they put it on the market. And of course, they reduced the price in a way that this would be attractive. And actually, in a in a a lot of smartphones, I mean, with the face IDs, for example, you also have now these sensors which are measuring the distance to your face in order to better recognize your face. And we just said, oh, that's super. I mean, we can apply it for our device because that will make our device much smaller. And we can make this device in a way that it can be wearable by the person. So, and that's the kind of philosophy that we are pursuing. You just need to know what is happening in the other fields. It's like, the, again, the artificial intelligence hasn't been designed to better understand the visual behavior. It's been designed for other purposes, but I mean, it has been uh, brought to actually success. and. To the usable form, and that's what we are using our also in our recognition of the visual activities of the user. And you have multiple kind of components here, which actually moved horizontally from from the levels of from the same levels of in the other domains. Let's say it like this.
1: Now, Vivier is is not the, your first startup, right? I mean, you 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 have founded like at least a couple of them, right? And have experience in, in more. Um, how does that help? Because I, I have a feeling that, you know, like having experience in, in, in many startups before, you are also like more sensitive to what's, what's new there, you know, what innovations are there and how can you translate them into something useful, right? Or some new medical device.
0: Uh, exactly yes I've been fortunate to participate in a multiple uh, startups which are which been on a different level of success I mean it's a question of how you define the success of course so uh, my first startup experience no I mean if I go down go back to the past I've been working back even in Russia we had this company which was more focusing on the development of the equipment and so I think it's just in my DNA that I'm kind of trying to make things work rather than purely focusing on kind of academic uh, outcome when I publish in the paper and then I actually don't care how it's going to be implemented at the end. I am always want to see how the technology is finally implemented and how people are using it because uh, from my experience as well, I mean, you can have a very beautiful idea very smart and very nice but you the devil is in details i mean when you start implementing this that simply doesn't work because of that and that and that i mean it doesn't matter how smart you are in terms of uh kind of from a scientific perspective i mean implementation might be much much more difficult and that's probably was one of my learnings in the startups that i had uh, in switzerland because here i started with uh a uh, company which was developing non-invasive glucose monitoring device, which was quite interesting experience. I've been working with the top uh, experts in the field, and we had a very obvious application. So the market was over there. I mean, technology was also and is uh, great, but some things are just not coming together in the right time in the right place. You know? What, but, what do
1: you mean by that?
0: I mean even. Even if you have everything in place, I mean, it's still a matter of luck that you have a proper partner in a proper time, and you're also dependent on the investors, etc. There are multiple factors. It's not only technology and market which is important. And you just have to embrace it and understand that's how the things are done. And I mean, then after this, we followed with a BioVotion company, which was actually developing uh, technology for a uh, cardiac monitoring based on the optical sensor that I've been kind of working on. So here we had a very practically nicely working technology. Uh, what was uh, I think our learning path is getting the application, because again you have a cool thing, and we've been in this market even before all these wearable hype started, and you know before all these Apple Watches and the Fitbit, which had the heart rate monitors. We've been one of the first who used the green uh, light to monitor the heart rate, and we had very nice results. I mean, and the performance of the device was great right from the beginning, from the first steps.
1: Can you just tell, how does it work? You know, how does this, you know, optical monitor of heart work?
0: Uh, It's very simple. You 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 (laughs) You just shine the green light into the skin, and then you get in the light back. And of course, if you have a pulsation of your blood, I mean, you have all these erythrocytes moving in your skin, then it modulates the uh, intensity. So uh, in theory, that's very simple, but then the challenge is what happens if you measure under motion? And that was one of our major kind of claims that we can measure when the person is performing motion and also that was one several tricks i mean that's why it's beneficial to use the green light and that's what you can obviously see because the the industry at that time and academia have been using red and infrared which was believed to penetrate deeper which is should be better but it was a little bit counterintuitive to use a green light because it's absorbed more but anyways so we had this technology working
1: so the BioVotion actually was uh, quite recently, in t- 2019, acquired by Bioformis, so that's like a success story. I mean, it, it just confirms the that your innovation and your device is actually needed in the market. And
0: Yeah, I mean, that's correct, so I'm pretty happy with this outcome. Because what bioformis is doing is doing this vertical integration. So they, they provide this digital healthcare. So servicing the patients at home, which is very obvious trend. And that's actually where Corona helped a lot. I mean, because everybody's talking about now about this. And they, we started to work with them quite early. early and uh, they've been trying to be, let's say, device agnostic. Uh, but we've they've seen that uh, the performance of our device, they've been making uh, use of our device, and then they decided that they want to have us on board, I mean, as a biovotion and that was the reason why they purchased BioVocean, just to have everything, uh, artificial intelligence, but also design the device itself, wearable. But it doesn't mean that we are limited to our device. I mean, they have all the other uh, hardware, So because they're trying to be a device agnostic, which makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, congratulations on on that. Thank you. But we we also have you've mentioned this uh, blood glucose monitoring, and we've just heard uh, Apple announced making a major breakthrough in creating no prick blood glucose monitoring for Apple Watch. I mean, there's still a way to go. Now, you know, what what do you think about that? You've got experience in creating that. What makes it? Um, what makes it? That long, actually, you know, the, the 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 work, you know, like they they already announced it, and we still need to wait for that. And there are so many other companies that are ach- actually trying to accomplish the same thing.
0: Yeah, and glucose is a, I mean, monitoring non-invasively. Glucose is a very very fascinating story. It's fascinating because there is a very very obvious market. There are there is an obvious application, and I've been also personally motivated because my father-in-law was diabetic the problem the major problem is that it's very easy to detect the changes which are caused by the glucose changes you can even do it with a simple thermometer you can put a thermometer and measure the skin temperature of a person and it might be modulated by the glucose i mean you you can also have your diabetic patients tremors and then you can monitor it with an accelerometer. So because glucose is one of the major fuels of our body. So if you go really outside of the normal range, body starts reacting. And it starts reacting in a multiple different ways. So the problem of here is not actually sensitivity. The problem is specificity. Because, uh, you know, this HH-20 principle, like it takes. Uh, twenty percent of time efforts to do eighty percent of work, and then twenty percent of work to do the remaining eighty percent. So I think in glucose you can say it's ninety nine percent is done in one percent of time. In order to get to the level of the medical kind of requirements, takes you the remaining ninety nine percent of time. So and that's a major challenge because. It's very easy to excite your team and to excite investors with some success stories, especially if you kind of select in the data which is a kind of proves your point and then uh, you're discarding the data which doesn't prove. And um, uh, then you have attraction. And then, of course, everybody is talking about you. And I mean, you know, anything which Apple does creates a lot of. Noise. That's ob- obvious. I mean, because they're a secretive company and they have a quite a dent in the u- universe. I mean, they already done it in the several fields, so everybody expecting them. So what I can say, uh, if you develop a non invasive glucose, you really need to have a stamina in your company. So you really need to be uh, committed to go for a long run, not for a you know right away. I mean, we have it; it's working, and we put it on the market. So I believe. Apple has this, stamina. I, mean, I mean, they have the resources to make to see it through. And I mean, it's like with artificial intelligence, for example. It doesn't. We 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 hear a lot of noise. I mean, right now a lot of hype about artificial intelligence, but this thing hasn't been invented last year or five years ago. I mean, we had these artificial intelligence winters when people were kind of discouraged in going into this because the artificial intelligence was not delivering. So. I've seen the same happening with the glucose because if we just start listing all the companies who tried to do this, I mean, we can spend hours just listing them because there were so many promising uh, developments exactly because of this point. It's very easy to have something correlated with the glucose. It's very difficult to make it really true. uh, uh, to the level of requirements of the replacement device. When you replace replacing the medical devices for measurements, I mean, when you really want to make a claim that you don't have to make to uh, extract the drops of blood from your finger. And that's the major challenge. And again, depending what would be the claims in the Apple Watch, because, I mean, it's not necessary that you're going to go for a replacement device. You can also go for, you know, I just want to monitor how many calories you actually absorb, uh, how many how much you've eaten. And that could be also extracted from a glucose. Or you can say, I mean, I can measure the trends, which is also much simpler. So, and I believe it should not be far away. I mean, especially if you have resources which are available to Apple, for example, or any other big companies.
1: What do you think with with all the experience, like what do you think or what do you envision is coming in terms of... uh, Non-invasive medical devices or non-invasive measuring.
0: Oh, there are a lot of things. I think it's it's really cool field. That's why I like to be in this field, because I mean, talking about about horizontal innovation again. You benefiting from improvements in the sensors. The sensors are getting smarter. The sensors are getting smaller. They becoming more wearable. I mean, like our time of flight sensor. I mean, it will it would be difficult to imagine this ten years ago. So. Uh, You have these really compact spectrometers. You have these lasers, which are very small. There are a lot of companies which are working in this domain. I believe there will be a lot of very good news from this domain and a lot of business opportunities for the startups to further develop. Also, talking about the power, I mean, computing power, which is available not only on the wearables, but also on the smartphones. I mean, you can do all this artificial intelligence, not necessarily on the cloud, you can do it in the phone. So there are a lot of, I'm expecting there is a lot of cool things coming. And we just see in the top of the iceberg, but there is more to come, I believe.
1: Do Do you have a, any like advice for uh, medical device startup founders that are at you know, earlier stage?
0: Uh, that's... I, there are no universal rule. Uh, I think, advises. I, mean, I think the challenge is always you start with a good idea. Uh, you think big. I mean, you have this vision, what you want to achieve. But in your daily kind of execution, you have to like execute small. I mean, you have to do these small steps and deal with the small things. I mean, as simple as that. I mean, you send something by post and post doesn't arrive. I mean, like this kind of stuff, which makes you a little bit annoyed and then you you sometimes feeling that nothing works but at the end i mean you have to really dream big and look on the big perspective and trying to reach your goals that you set to yourself but you still need to keep the focus on the small details and making sure that your kind of business idea works through essentially so and this is like really sometimes difficult because uh, also the problem, I believe, is mass media. If you look on the, all the histories of the successful startups, it looks like a very uh, successful story. I mean, like all linear. You know, the guy had this stroke of insight and he built this thing because he wanted to build something for his, uh, his own use or for, for someone who was dear for him and he wanted to solve this problem. And then he commercialized and it's on the market. I had a lot of connections with a lot of startups in the medical device domain. And also when I've been working in consulting, we've been consulting the medical device startups. (laughs) I never seen this story. I don't know where these stories are coming from. It's always, you need to be flexible. You need to uh, look what is available out there. And sometimes you start with one nice idea about your technology. But then at the end you figure out that maybe for this problem that I'm trying to address, my technology is not the best choice. And then you have to, then you have to make a decision that maybe I will go for something else. So again, you have to dream big, but you need to really see on the small things which are happening. You know, you still need to be agile.
1: Right. And uh, yeah, just to wrap up, what's ahead of the year?
0: Aha. So, yes, I mean we build in the market. So we're developing in a several different domains. I mean, we have a lot of traction. What really keeps us going is the feedback of the users. I mean, sometimes when you've been on these exhibitions, people will come into you and say, that's what I've been looking my whole career. I mean, it makes perfect sense, guys. Cool. I mean, heads up, etc. And uh, that's, I think, very important for us. I mean, to have this feedback from, from a customer. So we are trying... Tr- Now to go into the gaming uh, domain where it seems to be very interesting because these people are really focusing on their screens. They really kind of have the digital eye stress. So that's, if you say digital eye stress, they all understand what we are talking about. And there is so much of a professional esports nowadays. And also there are a lot of prosumers who spend a lot of time. So we are looking on this market as a kind of a, spin-off of our office health monitoring
1: okay so thank you very much for a very interesting conversation and you guys listening if you want to learn more about Vivior, please head to www.vivier.com uh, and that is v-i-v-i-o-r.com thanks very much
0: thank you alexandra and everyone for your attention it was a pleasure talking to you and sharing my thoughts
1: I'm totally impressed by the audacity of researchers turned startup founders, doctors turned entrepreneurs, or ordinary parents turned healthcare innovators, people battling the battles that no one fought before for the extra health of the future. So if you see a startup posting on LinkedIn, show them some love. Hit like, comment, that's fabulous. If you have a couple drops more of that altruism, follow the X-Health show. Leave a review here. I'll be able to bring more of these visionaries to you. So a big thank you. You're awesome. See you next week.
0: The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. If you have any medical questions, please consult your healthcare practitioner. The opinions on the show are Alex's or her guests. The podcast does not make any responsibility or warranties about guest statements or credibility. While the podcast makes every effort to ensure that the information shared is accurate, please let us know if you have any comments, suggestions, or corrections.